This is Power Athlete Radio. With your hosts, Denny Kaye, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Welcome to episode 62 of Power Athlete Radio. I'm excited about this one. I'm excited about everyone, but we're joined with the Power Athlete staff, John, Luke, Tex, and Callie. We have a special guest with us, Mark Watts from Elite Fitness, or Elite FTS, I'm sorry. What's happening? What is- it's, all, it's all good, man. It's all good. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, let's barrel forward. What's, what's I'm getting it? some background noise. Denny, you got like a party going on in there or something? <laughs> that's uh, that's that me. That's my next door neighbors having a huge party. Endless rage. Yeah, the only if you hear babies crying and screaming, then you know it's Denny. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> it means they got their gags on. Denny runs a babysitter's club. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you're, All right. Cross You've pretty much accepted like a life of poverty. You got to do whatever to make ends meet and get some extra cash. <laughs> so how's that prostitution ring come in there, Denny? <laughs> <laughs> we weren't going to talk about that one on the air. Uh, come on now. Sorry. Yeah, but it's okay. It's it's going good. It's going good. Anyway, the shit people want to hear. We'll save useless information for later in the show. It's my favorite segment. Right. <laughs> well, Mark, many of wow. our listeners like it too. What's happening, man? It's all everything's good. Just uh, my wife and I, we moved into a, a new house a little bit closer to uh, to work, and uh, man, I'm just living a dream. I mean, I'm just uh, doing my thing and and trying to you know being a part of a company that I've been following for over probably 15 years. So it's, uh, if, if I'm not coaching, this is, this is definitely the, the, the next best thing to, to do that. So I'm, I'm really, uh, I have no complaints, man. I'm always one of those, you know, compare every time I feel myself complaining, I just think about, you know, those, uh, young men and women, you know, in Afghanistan and, and overseas fighting for, for, for what we believe in. And so it's just like, you know what, I, I don't have, I don't have any bad days anymore. I mean, I think about other people and what they have to go through. So it's all good, man. Everything's, everything's, everything's awesome for me. I, Hey, um, Mark, can you give us a little background and give us a little history? So the people at home and listening can kind of connect a little bit with you. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I grew up in. I'll give you the, the shortest version I can. I guess I grew up in Pittsburgh, um, and uh, played for uh, Inner City High School, Brashear High School. So uh, I don't know if there's too many too many famous. I played against uh, Curtis Martin, who's a, a Hall of Famer, and um, uh, Ray Zellers and a couple other guys. So it was kind of it was city league, you know, a city league ball, and uh, I didn't have really the grades to to really move on. So. And plus, I was at the time I was, you know, I was five foot four, 160 pounds. So uh, I ended up joining uh, Marine Corps and uh, went. What was in the Marine Corps for, for for a few years, and I got out. I wanted to play college football. I don't know what it was. I just I just had that kind of that urge and that desire. So I ended up going to a community college. I had to transfer in to to Clarion University. I walked on there, and um, when I played, I really got kind of you know into the the, the physical you know, training aspect of it. And like, like most people who kind of get into this field, they, they have uh, some background in, in sports. And 
Um, I, you know, I stayed on as a, as a student coach and I stayed as a GA. So I got a, my master's in uh, elementary education. And then uh, from there, I was uh, I got uh, offered a position to, to coach with one of my good friends, how it usually happens um, at the Allegheny College. And, and I did the football slash strength thing for for a long time. I mean, that's kind of how I had to, you know, I do both. And I, I wanted to do both. I wanted to coach football and strength and conditioning. So, um, so from Allegheny, I went to, uh, I ended up going to Denison University, did both. And in, in the meantime, I kind of, kind of seen, you know, the one thing about, you know, football and uh, being a football coach, as opposed to strength and conditioning coach, it kind of, I know it never ends for a lot of people, but for football, it just, it never ends. There's always more film you can watch. There's always, you know, always that one more recruiting call you can make. And um, I wanted to kind of change up. I started to have more of a passion in strength and conditioning. So I did everything I can. I, I ended up uh, interning at university of Tulsa. Uh, that turned into the next year, uh, you know, I was I was working on another master's, interning at Tulsa, and I was still full time at Denison at one at one point. So, um, you know, and I, but that was just kind of what I knew I had to do to to kind of get ahead. So I ended up getting hired at West Point as a full time strength and conditioning coach. And then when I um, my my wife's family they had some some health health issues, and we knew we had to get back kind of closer to Ohio. Ended up getting a job again back at the back at Denison University, um, you know, took a $11,000, $12,000 pay cut. My wife didn't have any, any, any income. So we moved back on about $18,000 salary, um, to get back closer to home. And, um, you know, from there, you know, I am still trying to intern. And, and so, you know, I, I volunteered at Ohio State, did everything I could. And then, you know, it was about my, I guess it was my 10th year at Denison. It was, it was a year ago. It was, you know, we have two little ones at home. I have a uh, my oldest daughter's turn of five on on Saturday, and then I have an 18 month old at home, and I just was not seeing him. I was doing at Denison, I was doing you know the whole D3 model. I was doing strength and conditioning for all 23 sports. I was teaching class. I was a D line coach, special teams coach, uh, director of football operations. Um, I was the internship coordinator, practice supervisor, and it's like you know, and it, and it, at one point, you know, I just realized like I'm not. You know, my wife told me one day she said, you know what? you you work too long and you don't make enough money to be miserable at your job at all and uh, i said you know you're right i don't have that right i mean if you're going to be miserable at job you might as well be making some money you might as well you know um at least have some time to see the family so i made uh, a decision i emailed dave tate i knew dave back before he even had elite fts when it was when he was writing for deepsquatter.com and you know of course i followed louis simmons and everything that that, that everyone's well, west i was doing and end up sending him email said listen I don't know if you have a, you know, have a spot for me. I don't know if you can even warrant this being a salary position. And I don't even know if I'm the best guy for the job, but you know, this is my plan. And I kind of gave him a kind of proposal. We talked about for a couple months and I ended up getting hired on here about uh, a little over a year ago now. And uh, like I said before, I mean, I, I miss coaching. You know, I thought, you know, college strength coach was the only thing I'd ever do. But uh, if I couldn't be a college strength coach and I don't really have a desire at this point, uh, this is kind of the job that, that that I would be doing, being able to, uh, you know, be involved in the education, a uh, little bit of sales, obviously. I mean, that has to pay the bills, but really just kind of uh, getting some information out there and helping, you know, people because there is a need for it. And I think, that, that, you know, just like your site, um, 
there is a need because there's a lot of just misinformation and there's a lot of coaches out there that just really don't have a clue and, and they need some kind of structure. And that's why it's kind of important to, to be able to provide that. So that's kind of where I am. I'm, I'm just kind of, I, I held on as long as I can being a strength coach. And I had to, I, I really, really had to tap out. So, but uh, it's been the best thing for me. I get to see my, my little girls and, and that's, uh, and, and, and that's, 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 that's worth it, you know, just in that. Nice. Well, yeah. that definitely was the short version. I mean, when you're going through the stuff, I'm like, man, if this <laughs> you probably got about three podcasts just in the <laughs> I mean, yeah. so, I mean, I, it, it's always interesting when people start talking about being a strength coach and they have this idea of glamour of working with these athletes. And then you talk to people that are actually in the profession and you're like, you need to go intern and really see what this is like. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I remember techs talking to me about it and being like, you know, I'd like to go out and intern some schools. And I'm like, it'll be the best eye-opening experience of your life. And he went to Texas and then came back. And actually, I think he called me the first day he was there and was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. And it's yeah. it's uh, it always kind of blows me away, especially, you know, being an athlete and seeing it on the other side and then, you know, dealing with the personalities. It's, uh, it's definitely interesting, to say the least. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I got to say, going to Texas is one of the most invaluable things I've ever done just by seeing this all in real time, the mistakes on mistakes and uh, and the NCAA, I don't think they're doing much to help with strength and con conditioning coaches development. Oh, I know. No. One, yeah. One of the laws that uh, or I call it laws, I don't know, rules that's in place was there's only five coaches that are allowed to say anything at one time. You've got 50 athletes in there and only five coaches can actively coach or else it's a violation. So you get coaches that are not working on their communication. They're not working on their coach's eye. They're just literally standing there holding clipboards with their thumbs up their asses while these kids get hurt. Well, the reason all that stuff came into effect was that um, a lot of these things like Spurrier and a lot of these coaches really abused the NCAA and that they would hire strength coaches that were really position coaches. And then they would bring these guys in and they were literally coaching position all the time. So the NCAA to try to you know, I mean, the scam that, regulate. yeah, they tried to regulate and it's such a scam. I mean, this idea of student athlete, we used to always joke around, as we said, student athlete, you put up, like you get to student, you put up two fingers and you say athlete, you put up one, you know, <laughs> and it's true. I mean, you're there to make money and, you know, being a collegiate, uh, you know, division one football player is probably one of the most egregious deals you'll ever run into because universities are making so much money and the players are living so far below the poverty line and just the original deal. Like when we were in there, um, the amount of time that we put in, I mean, it, it's really almost impossible to really do well. I mean, I, I know for me, I would come home and I'd go to bed and then my dad would call me and wake me up at like 3.30 in the morning and then I would get up and study from like 3.30 to 7 because that was the only time I was ever going to get to study. But uh, I know there weren't too many guys that were really doing that. And it's just kind of unfortunate. And, you know, you guys get to see it. But these schools, I mean, these players are, you know, one of the largest money makers for these universities. And, and I mean, they really did take advantage of the NCAA to try to protect the players and, you know, in a, you know, hopefully protect them, kind of put in these these rules that are so stupid that they, they don't even make sense. Like, you know, you're, you're going to have 10 coaches in there and only five could talk like uh, like. And, and first of all, who's monitoring that? Are the players right. leaving there and calling the NCAA and being like there were six people talking? And you know yeah. what? Maybe players are doing that. And if they're doing that, they're fucking morons, too. You know? Yeah, I think there's two things that, that happen with that, with that rule is, is it's it's a rule to basically take care of um you know the the 90 that aren't doing that that aren't abusing rule and all of a sudden we're going to make a rule just for the 10 percent instead of regulating that which they can't 
it's not like they have the opportunity to regulate it. I mean, the, the NCAA is the king of the gray area. Uh, yeah. And the second thing, if you're looking to intern somewhere, it's one of those things that if you're looking to intern with a, with a football program, the chance of you actually getting to coach as opposed to uh, I was fortunate because I got a sh- opportunity to do that, and, and I, I got a chance to coach. But you know, I also had to uh, mix up, uh, you know, uh, waking powder on, with a paint mixer in a, in a five-gallon bucket, and all of a sudden now people are doing these internships. And at the end of the day, I've never really coached. I've never really done anything to prove that I can coach. I never developed any of the skills that are going to help me be a coach. So it looks nice on a resume, but at the same time, I'm never really not. It's for the wrong reasons. And so I think that's one thing people have to be cautious of when they're going to intern for one of these larger universities. Yeah, it's so, I mean, you know, they also have this idea that, um, you know, you bring in somebody who's obviously got the, you know, the chops to get the job. And then is it a matter necessarily of developing athletes or keeping the job? And I think uh, a lot of players really run into this situation where, you know, you have a strength coach or, you know, the people who's really beholden to the football coach that I need to see these numbers and football coaches um, are, and, you know, there's probably some football coach who's going to disagree with me on this, but uh, are not strength and conditioning coaches. And if you think that you are, then, you know what, you need to go down that path and deal on that side. But what do the coaches all want to see? I want to see numbers. Uh, how high do they jump? What was their bench? What is this? And then coaches start getting into a situation where they start bastardizing movements. And that's what Tech saw at Texas. They just wanted numbers by any means. So yeah. if you put four or five on the bar and the kid literally fucking drops it onto his chest and tries to bounce it in one inch and caves his chest in and then the coach lifts it up clean rep 405 and we used to see um you know not so much at cal when i was there just because uh we had two pretty good strength coaches with eric collin and todd rice and that shit did not fly but you know um i had a lot of guys that you know coming into uh into the nfl talking about oh yeah i benched 500 and then they get under 315 and they can barely do it for a double and i'm like maybe your 500 was different than our 500 (laughs) right or, you know, yeah. guys loading up the squat and they're like, oh, yeah, I squatted 700 in college and uh, their squat is like two inches down. And then they, you know, they're coming back up and I'm looking at it and I'm like, yeah, it's definitely different than our squat was. So, yeah. you know, yeah, or, or, or the hammer strength programs. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, you know, Dave's probably talked to you a lot about it and you've seen it, too. These completely dedicated hammer programs that, you know, with the high intensity, one set to failures type stuff do mm-hmm. nothing for developing athletes. Yeah, it's it's and I you know when I went to West Point, I mean that's where Arthur Jones did a lot of his uh, a lot of his studies with with the cadets, and because it was a good a good situation and stuff. But yeah, it's 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 one of those those situations where there you have to try to find the similarities, and there are some. And I think anytime you have anybody that goes to absolutes uh, with any of their programming. I think it's a mistake, and it doesn't matter for what it is. I think if, if, if you're not combining some methodologies, I think it's kind of a mistake. And it reminds me, what you said, John, reminds me of something that Vern Gambetta had said, is that strength and conditioning is still one of those professions that we still have not figured out, as long as we've been doing this, have not figured out how to evaluate our jobs. Um, you know, like you said, do you do do you base it on on numbers? Well, that's going to going to set you up for you know you're teaching the test. You, you base it on injury rates. What 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 basic quantifiable data do you have to really say okay you're doing your job? There's no wins and losses behind your name. Um, well, there's so for, many other factors. 
Well, for us, and, and especially at our seminar, when I go teach, um, really the only uh, proof that I've really put into any program is was the athlete successful on the field? Um, you know, everybody wants to always stand up. And we've had, you know, for years, coaches come in, oh, I got a kid that can do this. I got a kid that can do this. And they want to give me all these numbers and percentages. And I'm like, I really don't care. What did he do on the field? Did he earn a scholarship? Is he uh, All-American? Did he go out? How did those skills that you supposedly honed in the weight room allow him to translate it on the field? Because, I mean, I, I played with guys that were weight room warriors, and they went out and they couldn't play dead. And, you know, what did it get them? And so when we get in and really start talking about how do you evaluate your strength and conditioning program, did your athlete move better? Did he, you know, was he able to take the skills that you presented and you taught them and then be able to apply that in a practical manner and use it on the field? And if, you know, if you can come in and say, hey, you know what, I, I came in with this team, they were 0 and 10, the next year they were 6 and 4, the next year they were 9 and 3, then the next year they were 10 and 1, uh, they won a state championship and we had 10 guys go uh, get division one scholarships for four years ago, we had yeah. nothing. I mean, that's assuming for to me, the coach is that, that well, patient and like well, but, you have but, that longevity. There's so I mean, much That's the story I want to hear yeah, more so than some guy comes in and, and, and you know, and, and I know for you guys too, I mean, that's really what this stuff is about. Like when people start talking to me about strength conditioning and, and training kids, I'm like, there has to be an end goal. Like you, you know, be driving that kid. If he wants to get a scholarship, he wants to go and play at the, at the best. Then you know what? The training has to be represented to get him down that road. But that's sort of qualitative thinking requires understanding of the system. And I think that's where quantitative stuff, like people all understand numbers is universal. Sure. Okay, more is better, essentially. But to say, okay, did that person get better? Well, how are we measuring that? Performance. Well, how do I know that they're performing well? It's like, you, then you clearly don't understand. Yeah. yeah. It's true. You just can't see the movement. You can't understand the training, you know, and, and I guess that's where even this weekend at our seminar in Indiana, that guy was hung up on the, the equation. He needed to understand the equation because everybody else has an equation. Most people are one-dimensional. I think Tex said it one time, like pretty well. You know, like we don't care if you can take the most uh, elite at their sport and you know somehow prevent them from becoming injured and just allow them to succeed as they naturally would. What about the mediocre ones? What about the ones that are uh, kind of middle or bottom of the barrel? What did you do with those ones? But you know, our yeah. focus. Yeah. Our focus is so much on the already national uh, Actually, Tech stole that from me. No, okay. Okay. Hold on, and, hold on. And, 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 and I stole but that from Raphael. No, 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 no. <laughs> Tech stole that from me. I stole that from Raphael. And I'm pretty sure Raphael stole, stole that from, from somebody else. Because, oh, we're just a bunch of unoriginal bastards to steal all this shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, I didn't admit any of this stuff. You kind of talked about that in your strength and conditioning article you posted on the Power Athlete website, part one about maybe focusing on uh, the uh, the backups. Where yeah. is it? What do we got? You know what I mean? Work yeah. with... Yeah, the every athlete that walks in your door is an opportunity. So the uh, just the big thing I noticed in Texas and talked to John about it, and it's when he gave me the one-liner is you should measure a strength coach, not as how many people you send to the NFL, but how many walk-ons did you get a scholarship? And then from that scholarship, they get drafted and so on and so forth. And uh, it, it was it was the head coach that's asking for the numbers. It was the coaches that are coming down and, you know, with their arms crossed, checking out the weight room and seeing what are these guys lifting. So it's got to start from the top down. It's got to start with educating the the, uh, the sport coaches. So I know, uh, I know Mark wrote a, a pretty good article about just educating sport coaches and parents that this is the perspective that – 
that needs to be challenged, not just numbers. Well, I mean, uh, football coaches are numbers driven people. I mean, especially when you get up at a high level. I mean, you know, if you, you know, that's why they have statisticians, they want to see stuff. I mean, just uh, uh, as you guys were talking, I remembered a funny experience in my life in that uh, my redshirt freshman year, um, we were we were maxing out. So this would be going into my second year and we're, or actually I think it was my second or third year. So yeah, well, whatever it was early in my career. So we're getting ready to max out. I'm in there. Uh, I got six ten on the bar. I'm wrapping my knees and I'm going for, uh, you know, my one RM squat. And I think I was one of the only guys to squat over 600 that year. All of a sudden, Steve Mariucci was our head coach at the time, comes into the weight room and he sees the weight on there and sees this, you know, music all pumped up. Everybody, you know, kind of, you know, obviously getting ready to, to, to lift this weight. And I get underneath the bar, stand up with it, take a step back. And all of a sudden I feel somebody slap me as hard as they can on the stomach. And it's Steve Mariucci standing behind me trying to fucking spot me. Oh, <laughs> so like one, I, and you guys know, I, I don't like fucking people standing behind me. I don't like, you know, I'll either get it or, you know, fucking I'll dump it or pick it up. Like the last thing I want, like, I don't need anybody to spot me from behind. And uh, like, he was standing there, got so fucking excited. He jumped in there and was behind me, slapped me on the stomach and was like, let's fucking get this. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, like <laughs> anybody else, I would have been like fucking screamed at him or put the weight up and been like, get the fuck away from me. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess if the head coach is in here trying to fucking spot me with 600 pounds on my back, I better yeah, get this. Yeah, the dude, I mean, if you know Mooch, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what's he going to do? I mean, because if I throw it back, I'm going to kill him. So uh, I squat like, what was it, 610? I squat the 610 and I stand like screaming, running around. And I'm like, fuck, I guess these numbers are pretty exciting to people. And it just, uh, you know, there's this uh, one class example, but, you know, coaches love that shit. That's why they all show up on one RM days because that allows them to say, all right, well, you know what? These guys are here. It's, you know, these numbers should equate out. But as you guys know, man, that doesn't really equate. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, it becomes uh, the, the the YouTube highlight video and how much effort you can put into that because it ends, ends up coming back to recruiting, you know, it ends up coming back back to all that. So I think that's that's the, you know, and, and most of those coaches don't know who would know what what a good squat was or, or what wasn't. It's just the, the actual atmosphere and, and attitude ends up ends up overcoming everything else. Well, I mean, if you ever really want to see bad technique, look for, like you said, look for those YouTube videos that the coaches post to their players doing one RMs and you're like watching this and the coach is usually the guy who's screaming and yelling, hooping and hollering the loudest and he's not doing shit. And I'm always like, you know, and then uh, it, you know, it's, it's funny because people always, uh, you know, shit on the CrossFit community about having bad technique. And I'm like, have you ever been in a high school weight room? Oh, God. Like high school football? Like, I, I mean, we had a guy uh, approach us, um, about a year ago and the guy was uh you know nebraska offensive lineman he had um injured his back i think one of his discs was out like eight millimeters and he got cut by the eagles he uh comes out here he's doing his rehab stuff he came to work with us and i you know just asked him to show me some basic technique and what they wanted him to do they were actually teaching him to squat weight with his knees collapsed and basically collapsing his arches because they were trying to you know obviously build a strong base of support with a pyramid so they were literally healing his knees in for having to to go duck footed knock need on all of his squats and then he wondered why he he had no collapsed or he had collapsed arches his knees were hurt and had a uh, you know two discs and one that was out eight millimeters and like literally i was like why don't you widen your stance out and drive your knees out a little and instantly his feet made arches and he, I was like, when you walk, I want you to do this. And he told me it was the first time he'd walked in 10 years where his feet didn't hurt. And I'm thinking to myself, you were at Nebraska. 
which I took a trip there, is like, you know, the mecca for fucking strength conditioning with Boyd Epley and the whole deal. And this is what they were teaching this guy. I mean, at that point, I realized I'm like, nobody's safe. You can't go to Nebraska and have somebody actually coach you on a proper squat technique. Where are you going to get it anywhere else? So. It's it's disheartening at at some points, especially at the high, especially at the high school level, because not only do they not know what they're doing, they don't know what they don't know. A lot of the coaches, and and again, it's 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 a really this is probably the most frustrating and, and most um, this is the toughest time for strength and conditioning, uh, especially getting a strength and conditioning coach, because it's much easier for me as a as a high school athletic director or high school football coach to go ahead and hire. Uh, one of my assistants, give them a stipend to watch the weight room. Um, you know, the, the, the budget and the ability to actually bring someone in with that has the qualifications and uh, is just, it's just not there. And it's just really scary because again, again, no one, no one knows the difference between whether, whether only the only people that know that they're not doing the, the correct uh things in a weight room are the people that are the outside influences and, and those are the people that they are uh, you know adamantly uh, fighting against and really protective of their own athlete they don't want anybody as shitty as their programs are they are so emotionally invested in their shitty programming and their shitty technique that they won't let any outside um you know outside influences in to even to help them and and uh you know i, I guess there's 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 reason for it but it's it is really frustrating yeah it's it seems like it's so ego driven even just like working with these uh high school basketball teams that we're working with locally i left this morning after having taught them power clean for the first time or hang power clean really and all these these seniors were walking out or uh soon to be seniors were walking out ahead of me like 10 of them and they said wow like i could hear them talking and they said wow that's totally different than the way we learned from coach so-and-so and i i i you know I, I got their attention and i said like what do you mean what's different about it and he said well our coaches before just told them to to bang the barbell off our knees and pull the bar in front of our body and i said you know like like literally like he's yeah. just no, it's it's um so the technique and what they uh, teach is the brush to the or the bang to the brush. I know. The problem is, is is once you learn how to fucking bang the uh, the bar off your junk, it's extremely hard to learn how to brush the bar off your junk. Exactly. I mean, like that has such diminishing returns when the weight also, is heavy. Also, bang it off of the top of your knees is like not even ever getting the bar to full extension. Yeah. So, so. I, you know, it's it's just like it's kind of like it's kind of like what you're saying though, Mark. I mean, it's like this is so systematic that. It, you just have to get people in there who first and foremost know what the fuck they're talking about because um, they don't know what they don't know, like you said. Well, I'm, I'm sure you guys run into it at Elite FTS as well, where you probably have some high school call up and say, hey, uh, Dave Tate, I want you to design me the Elite FTS weight room of our dreams. We have $100,000. And then you get on there and you're like, great, okay, we got bars, we got racks, we got all this equipment. What about education? Oh yeah, well we got this kid's dad who uh, played high school football at a pretty high level and read a book one time. He's going to come in and design your program, and you're like, so what you're telling me is that you're going to spend a hundred grand on bars and bumpers, but you're going to basically bring yeah, you're not going to do any uh, you know education or bring in a program or anything. You're just going to let some kid's dad come in and do it. Yep, yep, sounds good. I mean, it's like, hey, uh, here's this Ferrari to my 16 year old kid, and uh, hopefully don't wrap it around a pole. 
I mean, we, you know, that's why when we go in and, you know, we designed the weight room for um, this uh, local high school. And when we started talking about strength conditioning, their first deal was, oh, yeah, no, we, we got a coach that can do it. We were like, oh, great. So we brought them in for a couple days of just some like educational stuff to teach them the basic movements. After one session, the coach that they wanted to do it was like, yeah, I don't think I can teach this stuff the way these guys are. And they hired us to do it. And I mean, that was great that they, you know, realize that, you know, this thing's specialized. You probably need to bring in people that do this stuff every day, but that isn't a lot of people's mentality. Yeah. I think the, the other, the, the, as much as there is a need, I think there's a lot of coaches out there that, 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 that feel like they're going to, um, they can save, you know, they, they look at their old high school and they can, they can save that high school because they come in and implement their program and actually teach the kids how to live properly and, and really give them a structured program. They're going to save them. The problem is a lot of times, you know, they go about it the wrong way. It's not like when you're having an actual seminar and you actually have a, you know, there's, there's just local people that, that, that come in and say, listen, I'm going to, your te- your, your program is shitty, but I'm going to come in and I can fix it. Well, as, as soon as you say that, that head coach or that, that athletic director all of a sudden is put off until you can prove to them that, 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 you know, obviously you know what you're talking about, you know what you're doing and almost, almost, you almost got to get to the point. You probably agree with this uh, and all of you have probably seen it, but you almost have to, 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 to prove them wrong before they believe that, okay, maybe I don't know this stuff. Maybe, maybe I'm not as, 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 as skilled as I need to be, but all of a sudden, you know, and that's why I tell people someone was trying to get into a high school and trying to be a high school strength and initiative coach. And it's amazing how much uh, just resistance he gets. But, you know, I said, listen, the only thing you could do, these coaches, they don't know you. They don't know what you can do. They don't know what you, they have no idea. All they're doing is they're protective of their players and they just don't want them hurt. You know, they have no uh, conception of, of what you're able to do for them. And so the one thing we talked about is like, you know, provide a free seminar, provide a seminar in your area so people can number one, see them coaching. And if you are training kids at that high school, all of a sudden they see you training their best athletes of the high school. And now all of a sudden you're on stage and it's almost like an interview. And all of a sudden you provide some of that, some of that interaction and building that, that first step and building that relationship with them. And I think sometimes, you know, once they get an audience, once they get a platform, I think that the coaches that are, that are qualified can get into those high schools and those small colleges that need it desperately. But the problem is that initial meeting and that initial yeah. step. And yeah. The I was opportunity. Like the, you know, just talking about like trying to connect with some of the high school uh, football coaches in my area, it's fucking extremely political. You know, they, they're all like ego driven, you know, they have their own off season program. They don't need you or, you know, they're telling their parents like, Oh, don't, don't spend the money for your kids to go to, you know, X, Y, Z performance in the off season. As long as they follow my program, they're going to be fine. And like you said, Mark, what if their program's shitty? I mean, how do you, how would you approach like, you know, the athletic director or those coaches personally and just be like, Hey, you know, here's, here's what I can offer you. Here's what I see, but not, not coming across like, you know, an arrogant prick. It's tough. And it's very tough. It's exactly what you're saying. It's very political. I think one of the first things you have to do is probably bypass football altogether. I think in certain areas, um, you know, football is so ingrained. And again, in Ohio and, and there's certain, certain states that are just, you know, I'm, I'm California, the same way, Florida, Texas, uh, you know, they're so ingrained in the program and they're so, because they're so, um, 
they're such an important, and I think I heard you say this, John, that you know that that, that the team, you know, people suffering together is what really creates that bond. And I think that you know, even though that you know those kids working together might not be the best workout for the football coach it's the most important thing to have the whole team together in the summer to do that and i think that's the hard part i think sometimes if if coaches would open up a little bit and try to approach the sports that probably needed as much as much as anything maybe not you know they don't necessarily see the connection between physical performance and on the field performance like sports like your soccer your lacrosse your your some of those sports that maybe not go hand in hand with with basically uh strength and conditioning um but I, at the same time once once you get to the program where again you could take over a volleyball team and, and they're you know out out cleaning the, the the football team as far as in terms of weight for body weight and technique and whatnot i think that's the first step i think it really is as far as to be able to contact ad's and, and contact other sport coaches because again now you're looking at someone that not only doesn't have the knowledge but doesn't even try uh, how many programs are out there? And even this is even for small small division three schools as well. How many how many sport coaches would just rather just say, listen, you're on your own, figure it out on your own? Um, it happens all the time, and I think sometimes you know getting in in the back door with some of those other sports. And again, some sports are tough. It's tough to get into baseball. It's tough to convince those kids. Those you know they, they've been coached by dinosaurs, you know, and, and they don't see any kind of relationship between, you know, it's like it's it's, it's one of the articles I wrote about about baseball and, and get, you know strength for pitchers. It's like, listen, if baseball if if the strength wasn't important for baseball, why do they test for PEDs? If it's not important for base strength and power is important for baseball. If it's not important for all those power sports that you guys always 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 talk about and really try to address. So I think that you know getting the you know going through the back door because of football one that's a tough that's a tough one to break. It really is especially in certain geographical areas. I uh, about a year ago I got a email from a guy that follows their stuff pretty closely and he is a cop up in Bullhead City, um, Arizona. Um, which is like Laughlin area. And he emailed me because his son is a pretty accomplished quarterback. The kid came in, started on varsity as a freshman and was tearing it up. And, you know, he was kind of asking me some advice because uh, he was getting letters recruiting and doing this. And the dad looked at what his son was doing at school after, you know, training on our program and, uh, you know, obviously following our stuff for a long time. And he's like, you know, what my son is doing looks nothing like what you talk about in on your, you know, on your website, you talk about the programming, it, he, it's not really meeting any of the demands or really any of the requirements of what you talk about being a solid strength conditioning program. So, wanted to be proactive as a father, he went and checked out. I think he found some coach that we had worked with and went down to his gym and said, Hey, you know what? I really want to implement this program with my son. And I think, you know, he's, uh, he's got a ton of scholarship, um, interest already. And I really want to be able to catapult him to the top. So here's a father being proactive. So he takes his kid in, they start training, they start using the program, you know, just basic, some basic linear progression. The kid starts making some really good gains. The head coach and strength coach at his high school catch wind of it, call the father and tell them that if he doesn't quit what he's doing, taking him somewhere else, they are going to blackball his son and not play him his senior year, thus killing his scholarship offers or killing his scholarship opportunities. I'd like so, to say that that's not common, but it, it, it's probably a pretty so, common practice. It happens so, a lot. 
Yeah. So the dad, so the dad emails me like, help, what should I do? Like, can you call these people? And my comment, and I actually replayed the story about when I was in high school, um, I went to one high school and then after my freshman year, that high school closed and they combined all three high schools in my area to make one super high school. Mm -hmm. Um, the high school that got closed that I went to, uh, they did not select that football coach to be the head coach. They made kind of some deal where, you know, the one high school. So we had to go in and play for our biggest rival going in. And uh, my whole high school career, everybody that was good at my high school trained with this old power lifter, a guy named George Zangus, who actually invented um, the super suit and the knee wraps. So he mm-hmm. was marathon yeah. nutrition and was super famous guy, you know, U.S. Thompson or U.S. powerlifting coach, Thompson powerlifting. And we trained in Zangus's garage from the time we were 14 years old. Well, these guys didn't like the fact that we did it and it was only for select people that were, you know, had an opportunity to play after high school. So there was a lot of negativity about it. And, uh, you know, there was uh, some attempted blackballing. And I remember, um, all of a sudden, uh, my buddy was, uh, worked in the office for first period. It's like, you know, some stupid, you know, extra period deal. And, uh, he told me, he's like, yeah, man, all these letters keep showing up. But every time I walk in, I see the coach throwing them away. And I was like, well, dude, you got to grab me those things. So he would go in and grab them. And I filled out the letters and sent them back because my coach wasn't real happy about me not training there. So, I mean, there was something where I almost potentially got screwed out of some stuff because of this, you know, weird rivalry and just fucking small, petty people. And so when the guy asked me about it, I told him the story and I was like, here's the deal, man. Like at the end of the day, your job is to get your son as far as you can on this path. If he already has a good future in this, you know what, put him into that system. I know it's going to be for the worst, but the last thing you need to do is have a college scout walk through the door and have your high school football coach say he's not a team player. The kid's a fucking asshole. His dad's an asshole and you don't want to yep. recruit him yep. because you know what the high school coach or a college coach is just going to go off what the high school coach says. So, you know what, tell him to go train with his team. It's not going to be as good a program, but at the end of the day, what's the end goal? get the kid a scholarship. If he's already got interest, you know, let's go down that road. And it, I mean, it isn't what the dad wanted me to, to say. I'm sure. I'm sure he was like, Hey, give me the number. I'll call the guy up and motherfuck him. I'm like, dude, that's not going to do anything. Me calling, the, yeah, me calling the, the coach on the phone and fucking screaming at him is just going to hurt you even worse, you know? So, um, you know, and, and we, we run into it a lot. You know, people guard these little fiefdoms. They guard their little kingdoms. You know, this is my high school and everything that rises and lowers under my banner is in my control. And the last thing they want to do is hear somebody come in that knows something. I mean, we were just down in Texas and we had a couple high school coaches just come and, uh, you know, see us present. And the coach left and he's like, uh, I, I don't know how to implement this stuff, but I love it. Like, can you help me? And we're like, yeah, here's, it's basic. It's simple. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just based on some, you know, some movement stuff. Like, like you don't have to get fancy. The problem is, and you, I'm sure Mark, you know, this is the fancier and the more slick and the more complicated something is the easier it is to sell simple, hard work is fucking not easy to sell. If it was, I mean, you know, it, it just, it's funny whenever we look at different programs, it's like, okay, carry the code to a fish or the, the coefficient. You're going to need to understand some binary code here as we, uh, you know, divide this by 3 million. And then you're going to take this number. Then that's how many sets and reps you're going to get this day. Instead of being like, you know what, we're just going to do a little bit more tomorrow than we did today. And we're going to see how it goes. You know, I need you to run fast to run faster. I need you to lift heavy to run, uh, to lift heavy. You know, it just, it, it just blows my mind that, you know, it's, it's a pretty simple process, especially when you're talking about such young athletes, but you have people, People want to overcomplicate it and it just fucking bums us out and pisses us off. 
and, and coaches always want to, you know, the, the coaches and trainers, especially when they're trying to sell something, they, they always want to make sure that they have something in, in the bag where they, they can keep things because again, the more information I can withhold, the more you need me, the more I can give you. And, and I think it's, it's almost got to be the opposite. We're listen, here's, here's what, here's everything that, that I got. And this is, this is, this is as simple as it can be. And, and it's almost to the point where coaches are almost afraid, uh, online trainers. I mean, that, that's, it's almost an oxymoron. So, you know, they, they want to be able to, to, to provide uh, training, but they also doesn't, don't want you to get to the point where you don't need them anymore. And, and like I said, I, I understand the high school thing with, you know, like I said, I know that, you know, if you're a head high school coach or a head college coach and the buck stop with, stop with you. So, um, you know, you want to get to the point where, okay, if, if we're going to F it up then I'm, I'm, I'm going to fuck it up the, the way that, you know, so I know it's my, it's my responsibility and it wasn't anybody else. But at the same time, if you really, if you really care about your players and your athletes, you're going to do everything you can to kind of, kind of learn as much as you can to get, to get them involved. That's for sure. Yeah. That's a weird thing is like, as it becomes more apparent just through my own experiences and hearing everyone else's experiences, it's uh it's just, it's so bizarre how, I don't know if it's an age thing or if, like these guys are trying to relive their glory days or somehow harness some control late in life. Uh, but it's this weird human instinct where these guys, these coaches just want to have control over the destinies of these, these kids. And it's oh, I, so, uh, I, I guess think you're talking about high school football. I just think you're talking about people in general. Well, right? it is people I, I, in general. Sure. I, mean, I, I mean, dude, hey. but this is one facet. That's kind of like parent. what, like I hear my grandma talk about how, you know, every generation has gotten weaker and weaker and weaker. You know, when, when she was a kid, they, everybody was poor and they all had like five or six jobs, barely got by, went through the depression. Then you get my parents' generation and she, you know, my grandma probably looked at them like, well, they have it made. You know, I say the same thing about the, the kids I see now, all the kids are over overweight playing fucking video games dude uh Denny, like it's getting shittier Denny. and shittier and shittier Denny, and i completely disagree coaches are like well some young guy comes in is like hey you know what i i freaking got some good ideas i'm a passionate strength coach and the guy's probably like well what the fuck do you know you're no i, you're I generation x or you know whatever no, I don't. Think I think this generation's fucked. I um, I'm scared for my kids, and I tell my wife this all the time. I'm like, I would not want to grow grow up and be young with social media, Facebook, all of this computer bullshit. Like, oh, hell no. Like I, I'm so glad I grew up at the time I did when we would ride bikes and our our favorite day was throwing rocks at each other and throwing rocks right. at cars and then you know running and i mean it was like okay we, we had one telephone in the house like like dude we watched tv but only until my mom yelled at us and then we left until she stopped yelling which was many hours but uh <laughs> it's like now it's like you know like we have to like you know like our kids can't play outside like we got i mean it's uh it's i mean like, apparently you, know, you want to talk about hard work you know instilling values of hard work it's like this gener, you know, like the younger generation you're talking about, John, it's like, what the fuck are they going to know about hard work? You know, well, uh, apparently you can't curse at high school uh, basketball players. So. Oh, Callie got reprimanded. for dropping. I did not get, I did, You I can't did hurt not get, anybody's feelings. Everybody gets a trophy. I did not get reprimanded. No, but I mean, I think like maybe there's some element of truth to what you're saying. But also, I just think that in general, 
like you just want to be in control of your little world regardless of if you think the person can help or not you're just like fuck you i'm gonna do it my way because no, i'm a I, th I, I think that I'm comes down to uh insecure people i mean totally. the people that i've run into that are you know like have to guard everything and sure it's micromanaging and yeah. micromanage yeah um just probably are uh you know extremely insecure and have really small genitalia. Yeah, and they're usually like, <laughs> you know, fucking like, penis, like a like an elevator door, like a uh, like a light switch. Light switch. I mean, because I mean, we we run into it all the time where we get like micromanaged or deal with people that are just so controlling, and I'm like, what is it? Is what this is, insecurity? Yeah. Do you because want to hug? I, you know, should we hug? Is what I I'll just tell that. But you just look them in the eye and be like, yeah. do you need a hug? Yeah. Like let's hug it out right now because uh, you know this fighting is getting emotional. Um, anyway, <clears throat> what's well, it's one of those, you know, with the, you know, it's, it's an old adage, it's a Woody Hayes thing. It's a, anytime you give someone something they don't deserve, you actually ruin them a little bit. You actually, actually make them less of a man, less of a woman. I think Buddy Morse, um, he just, uh, he's on our Q and A and he just answered a question. Someone asked about, you know, the same thing we're talking about, about how, you know, the, the this generation is, is kind of, like you said, they're kind of fucked, they're privileged, but yet they're, they're not going to be able to learn the hard way. Like kind of we did. And he said, it's kind of like musical chairs where, when we grow up, like, you know, you're playing music, musical chairs with, with 30 people and there's 29 chairs or 25 chairs. And you know what? That it's life. It's, it is what it is. And nowadays, it's almost like you're playing musical chairs. You might have 30 kids and you have, you know, 40 chairs just in case some kids want a different chair. They don't want to sit next to someone else or they want to sit next. You know, they do want to sit next to somebody. And, and all of a sudden now the choices in this generation is really it's really, t it's really tough. And it's really one of those things. And you got to change the way you coach because you, you're, you're in a situation where, you know, you know, some of those kids now, if you own your own business and you can just say, listen, I'm training you at my facility. And if you don't do it the way I want to do it, then I don't need your business. But there's the other side where, you know, you're not responsible for their playing time, you know, and all of a sudden they show up and you didn't choose them. They're not paying you to train them. Um, they show up and you're, they're stuck with you as a coach and that relationship and that communication style has got to be a little bit different. You can't, the raw, raw stuff is like I said, as much as it, it is a tough battle because you, you, you can never give in and you got to make sure that, that every, every kid you, you see, every kid you, that you, that you work with, they earn everything they get. And that's one of the yeah. things my, my mentor said is like, you know, you, you, you value all people, you're, you you you, you, you praise all effort, but you got to reward performance. And I think that's the one thing that that's why strength and conditioning is so important. A structured strength and conditioning program is so important for, for, for anybody, any young kids in sports in general, I guess, but really that's strength and conditioning because there is no gray area. There is no subjectivity. There is no, no batting order or playing time or no opponents. It's just, it's you in the bar. It's you in the stopwatch and there is no bullshit. And if you are, if you have the lowest vertical on your team, then you have the fucking lowest vertical on your team, and there's nothing you can say about it. It's all on you. And that's why I think strength and conditioning is such a. That's why I think I gravitated to it because, again, there's no bullshit. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with 11 year olds or or, or 30 year olds. It's this is what it is. And 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 I think that's the one thing that sometimes we miss. We we try to we do our best to try to keep that subjectivity involved and make excuses. And as soon as you do that, that's the excuse maker. That that, that that's the one thing that gets in, in in the way of development and not just physical development, but just overall development of these young people. Because because don't don't kid yourself every kid you work with you're not just getting them to be a, have a better clean and bench and, and and run faster you're doing a lot more than that and that's 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 what you have to all, all know 
Mark, and you're uh, also working out in the, you know, I mean, uh, a tougher part of the country. I mean, Ohio, that whole, you know, middle America stuff has a completely different mindset where we live in Orange County, Newport Beach, California is probably one of the most entitled areas to the point where my wife says to me at least once a week, I don't know if we should raise our kids around here. It's fucking dumb. And uh, I mean, you you know what, like, that's why, you know, I hired Callie and Tex. Um, You know, those guys are obviously from the East Coast and Luke's from the Midwest. Um, You know, having, you know, grew up out here and then lived all over and seen it. It's, uh, (laughs) it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm fearful. I mean, um, you know, the girl down the street, you know, for her, you know, high school graduation, her parents took her and 20 of her friends to hold to, uh, uh, to Europe for two weeks, all expense paid, flew them all over there. I mean, shit like that, where you're like, I mean, the dad, like the dad's telling me and I'm looking at him and I'm like, are, are you kidding? Cause, um, I, I think from my high school graduation, my parents kicked me in the ass and told me to get to, you know, to, to go to school and get out of here. You know, you be a kid. Yes. Yeah. I remember, I, yes. I remember I graduated high school and I'm like, am I free to go? And I never came home. So it's, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, I, I just, I, I don't know if it's a different generation or maybe it's, uh, you know, geographical or whatnot. Cause I mean, we still run into coaches and parents that, you know, want their kid to, you know, work hard and train. I mean, Tex told me a story the other day. Um, he's, he's working at a, as a strength conditioning coach for a local high school or a, a private school. And he brought the kids in and just did some basic mobility, stability work. I mean, just our initial prep, just to try to figure out who they were. And he got emails from the parents and the kids came home and were upset that they weren't lifting weights. So the parents emailed him and wanted to know why they weren't lifting weights. <laughs> and I, I was I'd like to say I, I'm surprised, I was, but I'm not. I, yeah, I was trying to imagine my parents, like if I came home and told my mom, my mom would be like, shut the fuck up. Like, yeah, like, like do what the fucking coach I, tells you. I don't you. have time to send an email about like, well, just I, go, just be at school. I'll be at home and don't, don't call me. Yeah. Walk home. Yeah. Like, Hopefully you get hit by a car. <laughs> you know? But I mean, I it's true. Three, it's, I got three ten, more just like you. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, you, you got two brothers. So you, you were a mistake anyway. <laughs> That's always great when you were a kid. Your mom's like, you know, you were a mistake. I'm not so gonna... fucking be, be glad you're here. Glad you. Like, I'm not going to write an email because you did something that was hard that wasn't lifting weights. Like, what a whiner. Oh, text, text. Tell us a story. I, I feel like I'm telling your stories. I hate doing that. The uh, So it was day one. We essentially did warm-up number one. We just taught the dead bug, um, uh, Spider-Man, Seesaw Walk, and, and did some sprint skips and stuff. So it uh, wasn't challenging except for the kids that, you know, sucked at it. So not even 30 minutes after the day, I hadn't even left the high school yet. I get an email from this kid's mother, and it was just uh, this kid's expectation was bang some weights, yada, yada. Ah, you there? Tax. Tax, Tax McWilkin. Hello? Man down. Oh, we we back. Uh, so, do you want to finish that story, John? Because I think that uh, we lost him for a sec. Yeah. All right. Can Can everybody still hear me? I'll text I got you. you. Yeah. Okay. okay yeah. Hold the hold, hold on. Let me do the text. And then I get an email from <laughs> a parent. <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, the way it gets is he gets an email saying that this mother was like, you know, the kid thought he was going to be banging weights, and there was a certain expectation, and it was not met, and the mother wanted to know why 
text did not meet her son's expectation, which I think is hysterical that a 14 or 15 year old kid uh, has a certain expectation when he comes into a strength conditioning program. I remember being 14 or 15 and having no expectation other than the mere fact that we were going to go in this room with these heavy things and lift them. So, and I, I watch fucking YouTube videos. I'll tell you, I fucking blame it on the internet, dude. This fucking internet thing. I cannot wait until this fad called the internet ends. So we just, uh, we uh, just Mark, I was, I was reading your article, like, you fuckers have it easy. I love that article. It, yeah, it's true. The internet and is the point. the same thing. You know, that even, like, my experience with just, like, doing Flex Magazine workouts or muscle and fitness, it was like, man, how are you, how am I going to expand on this? Like, even in the early 90s, you know, I don't have money to go to fucking West Side and, you know, or, or reach out to these, you know, other people who kind of knew what they were doing, you know, and now hey, uh, Denny, just go on YouTube. Denny, see, uh, um, I, this was my favorite story about West Side. When I was in college, we got the Louis Simmons bench press videos. And because uh, we all had this goal to try to bench press 500 pounds. So somebody bought the Louis Simmons videos or had them. And at the end of those videos, there was a phone number that you could call that said, hey, if you need to reach Westside Barbell, here's the number. And I called it and Louis answered the phone. And uh, this is like 1996. And then it was like 20 years or 10, 20 years later or whatever it is, 15 years later, when I travel out to Westside and meet Louie and I'm like recounting the story. And obviously those of you guys didn't know Louie, like he kind of gave me this confused look and was like, I don't remember. And I'm like, well, yeah. Okay. I mean, so the moral story is I call Louie on the phone. And I'm like, uh, Westside Barbell. And Louie's like, yeah, this is Lou. <laughs> I'm like, um, trying to bench 500 pounds and I just watched your videos and he literally rapped with me on the phone and like gave me a whole bunch of stuff that we incorporated into training and I ended up benching 500. So like, Louie literally to talked time. to me for like, you know, 45 minutes to an hour and was like, Hey, do this, do this, do this. You know, we, we didn't have any chains or bands or coming resistance, but his stuff was like, you know, it was kind of predating that a little bit. And it was like, you got to, you know, if the weight's too heavy and, you know, all of a sudden you lose bar speed, then you're going to be, you know, I mean, he, he really got into it, you know, started talking about the upper body plyos and what you needed to do and that you needed, you know, at least heavy dumbbells. I mean, it was just, it was a, it was a cool conversation. And the moral story is I went on at bench 500. And then when I went out there and I actually got to hang with Lou and I think in, uh, for 17 days, I had three meals a day with Louie, which was pretty awesome. We either ate at Bob Evans um, somewhere for lunch, and then we went, we picked some other restaurants. So I had three meals a day with him for 17 days. And I remember by the end of it, I could totally speak Louis, which is Louis's language. And, uh, yeah, and, and, then, and then you realize at the end of it, you're like, oh, so you lift heavy things, and then you lift them fast. So fast and heavy. Awesome. Let's get out of here. Yeah. But uh, I mean, yeah. It's it's funny that you know, like I said, I you know, Dave always tells the stories about like you know they they would be running late for a meeting or something. Someone would call him out, just someone he didn't know, and just would just with rap with them to the point where like, he would just you know they'd be late for a meeting or whatnot. And like I said, I thought of the one thing that you know we used to I used to wear every month. You know, he had the only time you ever hear anything from Louis Simmons was he uh you know he had. Uh, 
you know, uh, an article, a one-page article, maybe a page and a half article every month of Pilots in the USA. And like you just waited for that one article when you read it, and then you do whatever they said for that month, and then go back. But it's the same thing. I remember I had some some buy some tendonitis type stuff, and I remember calling Dave on the phone, or Dave answered. I'm like, holy shit, you know. And then you know, since that day, it's just it's kind of funny how 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 you know when you you know I I, I interviewed Mark uh, Uyama, uh, who's the head guy for the for the 49ers and one of the things we talk about and he's a guy he's not on social media he's not you know doing any of that but the one thing he talked about was the importance of just you know going to conferences and going to see people you know i remember you know sleeping on chris dole's couch when you know he's, he's still a guy at uh, at iowa i remember just being on his couch just to watch them you know train because back then i mean you really couldn't you didn't know how any of these you know division one schools were training unless you were a division one athlete and yeah. I'm like, I have to do well, where you actually have to travel and meet people. What about yeah. that? Like, if you wanted to train yes. with somebody, you actually had to get on an airplane or drive your car and actually go train with them. I remember uh, when I was in college and I, I wanted to work on my speed stuff, I traveled out and stayed out in Kenner, Kenner Louisiana with, uh, with Tom Shaw to work on my sprint stuff because Tom was, you know, at that time, uh, you know, was the premier speed coach yeah. in the country for NFL players. So if you wanted to run fast, you got to go out and train with Tom Shaw or go and meet Angel Spazoff out at University of Texas and mm -hmm. um, you know, going out and training with these guys. Or if you wanted to, you know, uh, you know, learn, learn the West Side system, you had to travel out to Columbus and go out to West Side Barbell. And I just, uh, it just blew my mind. Like, that's kind of what you did. You were kind of this, you know, Ronan in a way and that you got to go out and you got to train and you got to learn. And um, I remember in college, uh, you know, Steve Etman coming back to Cal and he was a Washington yeah. guy coming back and training with uh, Eric Cohn. And, you know, that's how it really went down. Now it's like, you can be, you know, uh, 3000 pound total from your basement because you have 7,000 posts on, you know, fucking deep squatter or, uh, you know, what, what are those other websites? Um, you know, fucking uh, giant, Let's not mention them. <laughs> you know, yeah. Some, some other forums, but I mean, I've written it all the time that if, uh, somebody has, um, you know, more than, you know, five digit posts in any form, uh, they don't have enough time to actually be strong because they're posting too much. Yeah, I remember seeing some guy that had like 7,000 posts and I'm like, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's over thirty-five a day. When are you fucking training? It's yeah. it, it, Joe Cannon told me that uh, you know again you had a lot of it's same thing with coaching, but they're placing all these videos of you know the, all these instructional videos and videos of athletes and all. And it's like who's training your athletes? I mean that's all you do. I mean it, it, really that's all you do is you know who's really training them when you're posting all this shit and writing all these writing all this shit and you know it's funny the one thing i think is refreshing it reminds me um there, there's a young man and i think there's still hope for for this next kind of generation that wants to wants to get involved um we got a young man that's interning for john meadows and john trains out here i know i know you had john you had uh um i think you had some some interaction with him yeah yeah john yeah john and i hang out and he was on the podcast i mean uh we we emailed back and forth i mean um i was really uh blown away by some of the stuff he did with diet he wrote some diet stuff for me just because uh, i'd always been pretty uh low carb and and i was just amazed that a dude could be that jacked eating that many carbs and so he did some diet stuff for me and uh sent me a bunch of training and i i you know if somebody sends me training or wants me to do something i do it just so that i can actually speak intelligently about it and what i was really amazed by was you know his assistance work and how he kind of really uh kind of 
put his arrangement together of, you know, like, you know, the, the mountain dog system, you know, hitting all the, the, the hamstring stuff. And, uh, you know, I can always learn something and I, I never get to the point where I think I know too much and there's always somebody that knows more and, and John's awesome. So I was, uh, I really count him as, uh, uh, you know, as a, you know, super sharp dude knows it better than anybody is doing it better. So that was a, a really cool interaction really helped me, um, you know, kind of formulate my own thoughts a little bit. Right. He's, uh, you know, so he, they, they comes out and he trains on Saturdays. I guess his wife won't even let him come out one day a week or whatever. So they got him and Dave train on Saturdays. And, um, uh, he's actually, his, his sons go to daycare at the same place, the uh, preschool, the same place my wife and I got married. So we're kind of in that same area. And, uh, so he comes out here and there's a young man that came, who uh, graduated from Wisconsin lacrosse, saved money for about probably a, a year, as he told us, um, to move out here to Columbus, got an apartment just to intern for free with John Meadows. Now, consequently, he comes out to see us one day a week, and he's out here Wednesdays and Saturday with us. So what this kid could have done, because he was following, you know, John Meadows' diet and, and, and training everything for, for the last couple of years. But this, what he could have done was just, he could have just made his, got his own blog, right, got his own YouTube page, and probably wrote an ebook and pretended he was an expert and talked about everything. He, that would have saved him a lot of money. He might even gain some money. But instead, how about this? He saves up money to go travel, live, and learn from some of the one of the best guys, and and and, and again, just you know, and, and consequently, he gets to you know, obviously, hang out with Dave and learn from both of those guys. Um, you know, people don't do that anymore, and that's what we had to do. And it's really hard for people to find uh, to do that. And I, I think people just they they feel that I think we have this comfort zone with the internet because again, anything we say. Anything we write, anything we post, and I always tell people, it's like, listen, would you say that? Would you say that out loud to somebody? You know, and if the answer is no, why the fuck are you typing that? And it's it's one of those things. There's no, it's like Louis C.K. said, the problem with sending a mean text, you know, with if you talk about young young kids today, it's promise, you know, a post on Facebook or a tweet, you don't get any immediate reaction. So you don't know how people are going to respond to that. And all of a sudden, we get like, like, like cold as ice and just immune to any kind of like and personal reaction that we have for any of our any of our actions online it's really just kind of it, it's re really alarming so it's nice to see that there's are some people that understand that you got to get get off of your keyboard and actually talk to people in person it's like I, I was i was almost almost afraid with like you got college graduates like you're really witty when you type like your facebook statuses but like when i talk to you in person motherfucker you can't even look me in the eyes it's like it's a person you know it's it's one of those things i think that really is is, is disheartening and i think that hopefully it'll change and i think it's you know and that's why i think i think coaching in this in this in this country coaches and, and teachers are the two positions that everybody thinks they can do better everybody everybody thinks they can teach your kid better than their teacher everybody thinks they can coach better but i think it's the two most important professions in this country because um you really it's the one thing that you have to actually earn everything you get and it, hopefully if, if they're structured correctly so i think it really is important i think it's kind of on us to help to, to shape that next generation and that's a lot that's a lot of weight on our shoulders you know but i think it's that's important well, I, I think everything's become so much more visual in a lot of ways. Like um, my brother's, my nephew, my godson is seven years old and he plays basketball, plays baseball, does swimming, plays like four or five sports. And my brother coaches him in all of his baseball and, oh yeah, and flag football. So my brother coaches him in flag football and baseball. 
And uh, my brother had a funny interaction with a parent who was, you know, really, you know, was kind of telling my brother, like, hey, you know what, my son's going to be, uh, you know, I mean, this kid's got talent and goes through this whole spiel with them. And my brother kind of looks over and he goes, uh, well, you know, I mean, they're seven years old. Why don't we just go let them have a good time? Let's let them have fun. And the parents started to kind of get a little pissed at my brother. Like, you don't understand, like, you know, this shit's important. And my brother's like, dude. Uh, I played college football. My other brother played college football. My little brother, no, I played college football, but played 10 years in the NFL. And I had to go to, uh, you know, uh, I went to every single game. And, you know, in terms of, you know, scholarships, all that, we did it all. And he's like, and here's the sad part. My brother sucked at baseball when he was seven years old. <laughs> he's like, so my brother played 10 years in the NFL, and he was not a good baseball player at seven years old. Now, he grew into his body and was better longer, but he wasn't good at seven. So what you're telling me is that you can evaluate talent at seven years old? And the guy kind of got quiet, and he's like, let's just let the kids go out and have fun. And because uh, at some point in life, it's not going to be fun. So let's not steal it from him early on. And like the, you know, like he's recounting the story to me. And I was like, dude, that's probably one of the better stories I've ever heard. And he's like, yeah, it's fucking crazy. Like it's the people that never got there or, you know, all of a sudden are going to live vicariously where he's like, you know what, if, uh, you know, whatever happens happens, but it's, it's just, yeah, I, I think people see how visual it is. They see all the money, you know, the rap videos or the you know music and the you know TV and the internet. And they, they want that for their child and that's fine. Everybody wants great things for their kid, but fuck man, it's a tough road to hoe. I mean, you think, in the last 20 years in the NFL, less than 15,000 guys have played in the NFL, and I think less than 1,000 played longer in three years. Well, and kind of in keeping, too, with what Mark was saying and sort of what you're saying is, like, there's a persona, and there's a persona that we apply to athletes as well as, like, a persona somebody has on Facebook or whatever their social media avenue is. And then there's the real stuff. There's the real person behind it. There's the real work or lack thereof. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just so funny how we glamorize these personas um, when without really having any knowledge or understanding of what really they make up the person, the athlete, whatever. So, or if they're even credible at that. So, youth sports is tough, and, and that's a great point, Callie. And I, I think it's it's tough because it's become a showcase. It's no longer about development and having fun and really just uh, becoming a lifelong, you know, being appreciative of the sport itself. We try as hard as we can to get kids to fucking hate sports because it's, it's, it's almost, it's a, I need to get my baby a scholarship. It's like, but he's like 11. What, what are you talking about? And all of a sudden now it's about the showcase. And you look at like, you know, if you're looking at club soccer and hockey and like my nephews played hockey and like the amount of games they play on a weekend so they can get this showcase, you know, they might play four games, right. Of soccer. And if it's, yeah, weeks of the weekend, we're talking about real sports though, Mark. Just kidding. So pick it. I mean, pick this for you look at hockey. I mean, my nephews, they would play five games in one weekend. That's not that's not skill development anymore. That's survival. You're going you're going to, you know, you play AOU basketball tournament. Yeah. You know, toward the end of the tournament. That's just survival. And yeah. the, you know, and and part of the part of the problem is is that the way that youth sports are structured nowadays is like think of a little league baseball player, right? Think of a kid that might not even play in the outfield, how many balls do you think that if you're playing, if your young kids playing little league baseball, how many balls do you think they really get hit to them? Right. Yeah. If they're playing shortstop, maybe a couple. If they're playing an outfield, maybe a couple. So all of a sudden, I'm going to play over the course of a week and I'm going to play four games and I might get four balls hit at me. Well, no wonder why the kids aren't getting better. 
Yeah. We don't practice anymore. And all of a sudden, you know, that's, it's a different model for, for people to develop. And it's like, you know, it's like the same thing for, if you're looking at powerlifting, strong, you're looking at all those different things. If you have someone that competes every single weekend and they're, or, or, or basically once a month, even, you know, they're really not developing those weak points that they need to, to, to get stronger. So no wonder they're just re, re, recapping the same things over and over again. Um, and that movement pattern just kind of never changes. So it doesn't matter if it's if it's a strength sport or regular sport. It's 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 just it's frustrating because those are the type of things that that we're not addressing. And the actual physical development, the things that matter, really are being addressed. It's it's about showcasing the, the kid instead of like I said. And at some point, it's 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 you know when when do, when do we stop with that? Yeah, that's an interesting point. And I think about that too, when I talk to people who are getting into strength and conditioning sort of late in their life or getting into strength late. And you talk, you talk to them about upcoming meets that they're having. And they're like, oh, I got a meet in June. And then I got another one in September. And then after that, I'm going to do another one in October. And, uh, you know, they're all powerlifting meets or whatever. And, uh, you know, why, how often do you compete? It's like, well, twice a year. Why, why would I compete more than that? Or, you know, it's right. like you, you have to give yourself that time to really focus on, like you said, the holes in your training, attack those holes. And, um, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it. I think than people like just going out there and playing your sport necessarily like that's, that's excellent. But like when you're dealing with such specific movement patterns or such specific, uh, positions, then, you know, you have to, you have to get some exposure there. It's, it's in football, probably the, probably one of the, it's, it's such a different animal because that's the one sport that you really can't play. If I'm a college football player, I might have, if I'm a division two or higher, I might have. 16 practices of spring ball and then I have in season and the longest time that I have to train the longest period of time I have to train is in season other than that I might not have more than six you know six to eight weeks at a time and and, and the problem is it's the one sport that I really can't I mean I can run patterns we can run skelly you can run seven on seven you can do stuff like that but you really can't play your sport except for that 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 time in season so mm -hmm. that's probably one of the one of the main reasons why physical development is so important for, uh, you know, for, for, especially because it's a contact collision sport, but, yeah. you know, just for, because you can't play it all year. Cause you have to optimize it. Yeah. To optimize yes. that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. So what would you say? I mean, just curious, um, you know, what would you say is best, the, your best advice for like somebody who is, I guess, sort of in, in keeping with what you were mentioning with the kid who's interning, who moved out for a year, what would, what would be some of the advice that you give them to kind of pursue that type of excellence in this field? You know, do you have some like pillars that you, uh, prioritize or like things that you try to tell yourself as you move forward with your career? Yeah, sure. I, I, you know, I, I think one of the, one of the things that, that I tried to establish at Denison, we had a pretty good, we, we had a pretty good internship program and, and, and we did it. I, I fucked it up for, for a long time. And I really feel bad for, you know, those, you know, those, 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 those young men that I'm really good friends with right now and young women that are, that are still, I mean, I really probably did them in service because the one thing from a structural standpoint that I did when I brought interns in, I brought them in to, to help me with teams, to help train teams. And they weren't ready. You know, it's like, like, uh, jail Holdsworth had, had told me, is like, you know, the one thing that people have to understand is that if I don't have enough experience to be a strength conditioning coach, so I need to get that experience, but I don't, you know, and the, and the ones that say that, well, I need to be, I can't do it for free. Well, here's the thing. If, if it was a paid position, 
you're probably not you're probably not qualified for it anyway. I, I had so many internships that say, listen, it's a free internship. Uh, you'll get experience. You'll get, you know, an opportunity to get class credit. And I said, well, if it's for free, I can't, I can't, I can't really do it. And I flat out to- tell people because at, at some point you have to have a lot enough guts to tell people the truth. It's like, listen, if this was a pay position, I wouldn't be talking to you. Yeah. You don't have any experience. And like I said, when you bring on an intern, you can't get to the situation. If you're hiring a coach at your gym, you can't hire somebody that you got to train. That doesn't yeah. make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. Okay, I'm going to pay you, but I'm going to train you. Hmm, right. It doesn't make sense. So I think the people, and it's starting to overflow into the private sector where they're starting to intern at the private sector to get that experience. Okay, now you're going to be a hireable person. I can, I can basically hire you. But the one thing they have to be careful is if you're not willing to do it, to volunteer uh, and be to, to be an intern, I think it's a tough situation. I think you probably got to reevaluate really what you want to do. There's a hell of a lot more coaches than our coaching jobs out there. And with with these military, and all of a sudden now, you had a lot of military jobs are opening up and a lot of coaches were making that transition. A lot of good friends I had. Now they just went through two, two sets of cuts. So all of a sudden now, well, that, you know, that basically that overflow for strength and conditioning at the college level, at least, is, is being decimated as well. And I think that, you know, the one thing about, about interning is that once you start an internship, make sure it's the one you want to do. Because once you start it, you have to finish it. Because here's the situation. If I do an internship and all of a sudden I say, you know what, this really isn't for me. Well, if I work, if I figure that out after a couple of weeks or a couple of months, well, not only am I... I can't put that on my resume. I don't have that as a reference. So I just wasted all that time volunteering for free and I don't even have it on a ref I don't even have it on a resume anymore. Because I never finished it. So it's almost to the point where once we had interns start, you know, they, they had to finish because listen, you're gonna do all this for, for what? For nothing. Um so I think the main thing with an internship is to try to learn and try to absorb as much as you can. I think with, with young people, they have to make sure that, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work for free. So I need to be able to save my money to be able to get to a point or I have to get a part-time job or I have to be able to live with a friend or whatever or, or, or live at home to be able to do this internship. And, and the problem is, is that people can't wrap it around your head like, listen, if you want to be a strength coach, you might have to actually save money. You might have to pay to work yeah yes and, and, definitely and my wife's like you know she she tells people every time i have you know I, i'm fortunate enough to have a lot of young people that are trying to get into it a lot of kids that i've, I've made, been a mentor to um and my wife's like tell them to stop tell them to get out of it and it's like i don't want to ever tell anybody with their you know to, to not pursue their passion but you better be damn sure that this is what you want to do and once you get there i think the most important thing i think that that, that for an intern is that they have to obviously you're you're gonna try to know what you don't know and you're gonna you're gonna make sure that, that you're it's a learning experience. But the other thing is that too many times when they do an internship, they have to understand that every single day they're there, every single hour you're working is a job interview. And what happens too many times is that they go and they, okay, well, once I get a full-time job, I'll do this. Or, hey, once I get my own team, I'll do this. Once I'm not an assistant, I'll do this. And it's like be big time where you're at because this is your maybe your only opportunity. When people go back and they're going to hire you, they're going to hire you not on your resume or not on what you know or not on what fucking YouTube videos you watch or who you've been associated with, but they're going to they're going to base judge you on your work that you did. Yeah. Whether it was an intern and whether, you know, and it doesn't matter whether you, if you get an opportunity to coach, then, then you have to make the most of that. And you have to, and it's a tough situation because there's two things you have to do as an intern. 
you have to acclimate yourself to what they're trying to teach you and what you're trying to do. But at the same time, you have to try to develop your own coaching philosophy. And everybody asks me, it's like, you know, what's your coaching philosophy? It's like, well, I'm still working on it. I'm yeah, still it working on it, you know? Yeah, it's a combination of all these things that you've been learning. And I think like what you're saying too with, uh, you know, understanding that you have to not only see it through, but also be willing to do it, either pay for it or possibly, you know, be doing it for free. It creates what it does is it, it creates a barrier of entry for people who are just either do it because they think it's cool or do it because they're extremely passionate about it, you know, and Great that, point. that financial, that financial barrier of entry is going to be a stopping point for a lot of people who are just doing it because they think it might be a fun, you know, uh, six month period or whatever. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it creates a selflessness. So, um, I think it sets the tone for being, selfless about coaching and knowing that this is not about you this is not about you being in a paid position it's about learning it's about learning and then imparting that knowledge on others um and and you know it's it's also a good mirror of the real fucking world which is when you get to a strength and conditioning position it's not going to pay like you're not going to be driving around in uh, a range rover necessarily you know like if this, you don't just suddenly get like a driver, um, and you know, like your life, you're not just wearing terry cloth <laughs> suits like like John wants to. <laughs> well, uh, John wears a t-shirt once and then throws it away. You know what I do? I get it out of the trash can and I wear it as a nighty. Uh, so I, after seeing uh, some of some of my staff decide to go off the rails with some of their travel outfits and their personal grooming not standards, me. yeah. So. I got on the internet and I was looking for like Run DMC Terry Clock warm ups so we could create like old school like 80s, uh, like you know some some travel uniforms. Yeah. And uh, these guys ixnated. They were they were against it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm like Kelly. I'm like, who doesn't want to be draped in Terry Cloth or both? <laughs> I, I would be draped in both. Yeah. Uh, so. Now that's great. That's great advice though, Mark. I I I think that's awesome. And and actually we have a question uh, that is pertinent to the subject matter, which is from Taylor. Smith, and he wants to know that internships really don't exist, he says, in Canada. How do I go to pl about applying one for the U.S.? Well, I'll tell you one thing, Taylor. We get uh, emails all the time, and I think that's probably the – unless there's some sort of formal announcement about an internship um, and they have an application process, the, be the best way to do it is to cast a wide net and send – personal emails to them. So don't just send a personal email that says why specifically you're looking at that training system. Yeah, just don't fucking CC everybody you want to go and say yeah, that CC. over sir. To whom it may concern. Oh yeah, because yeah, well, we get those and we're like- We yeah, definitely do. do. Um, and then the other thing too is I would highly recommend if you want to work with a specific coach or a specific training system, go there in person if you can. If you have the ability to go to wherever it is, show up in person, shake their hand, and make eye contact, show them that you're passionate, take it seriously. And then if they still say no, come back again. And uh, like a couple weeks later and just be like, listen, uh, I, I, I listen, baby, my mind hasn't changed as yours. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's just like, make like, we need to make this happen. I want this, you know, and then just start, you know, just put, try to get your foot in the door that way. So people will think take you a lot more seriously if you put that sort of effort into it. Well, yeah, my, I mean, my advice, and that makes uh, that's great advice to, to start with, Callie. But I, I think that the first questions you have to ask all all time is number one, Taylor, do, do you like money? 
number two, do you like sleep? You know, and, and I think if the answer is no to both of those, I think you're in good shape. You're in the right profession. Um, but, you know, I think coming from, he's got a little bit of a barrier because it comes from Canada, but you're right. When you send out those resumes, treat it like a full-time job. Treat it like a job that's going to pay you whatever, a hundred grand a year. And that's how you approach those positions. And I think that, you know, every single email you send should be just a personal. You can pop, copy and paste most of it, but the individual stuff, you have to make sure that, that again, cover letter is individual to the position. And before you start sending out to everyone in the country, I think if you have any connections in the States, so and I've, we, we, I had a, a, an intern from, from Ireland, so I know that when he got here, we sent him up with an apartment, we got him a part-time job at a pizza shop. Uh, he ended up doing a great job for us, but you know, he had some obvious, some, some huge obstacles coming from Canada. I don't think there's any kind of, I think, I don't know if he needs a work visa or whatever, but I don't think there's any issues with that. But I think that he has to know again, where are you going to live? Um, and if you have no connections to the U.S., where you know where you'd like to live, then you have to go through and say, okay, well, these are the places I would like to coach. I would be cautious about Division One schools um, that are because of that five coach rule that that we had talked about previously. Because again, you don't sometimes with the smaller schools, especially smaller Division One, the F, you know, the the FCS schools, some of the Division Two schools that um, you know, a lot of times you're going to get an opportunity to coach. You might learn from some of those guys, and I think that you know you have an opportunity to kind of coach. I think that you know there's a list of guys that I think that you know their internship programs are probably pretty um, you know pretty extensive, and you're going to get a lot out of it. And there's some that you might just be a gopher, so you have to make sure you, that that you find the right position as well. Treat it like a full-time job. Contact everyone you can. But again, some of the websites that they'll have it. I mean, I think that you know I'm not trying to plug anywhere else, but um, the CSCCA has you know they'll have a couple internship you know that they'll post on there. Football scoops another one that they'll have some some internships that, that are posted. Uh, and then really social media. As much as social media can be an evil, it can also be um, you know a, a really good tool for a lot of a lot of people to you know I know that uh, Donald Boucher down at Citadel talked about how to use social media for for, for an advantage. I think when you're talking about connections i think that's one of the that's one of the most important things i think coaches college strength coaches always want to be able to they want to talk shop they want to talk they don't they don't they, you know anybody that wants to ask them questions about anything i think most of them 90 percent of them are honored to do so so i think that when you reach out to coaches and you kind of start to build those relationships i think it's huge and i think really you got to go to as many conferences clinics as you can that's an excuse to travel if you're traveling down to a clinic in chicago or wherever it may be make sure that you're coming down and make sure they're meeting and networking as many people as you can because that's your way i'm not saying that i'm not going to plug one conference or one clinic or another but that's a way that you can meet up with a bunch of people that have the same that have the same um, you know interests that you do, and a lot of people that will be able to that you can connect with. So I think yeah. that that's one of the things to, to to go to each individual school or each individual you know private training facility and make connections is tough. And I think the, that that if you end up going to some of those the, the national conferences that that, that regardless of organization. Um, if you can go to as many as those you can and make it as much connections as you can, and it's just about okay, you hear someone's talk, come up to them, introduce yourself, and and and, and somehow, some way, make sure that they can get grab everyone's cards that you can, send them a handwritten note or send them a you know send them a, at least send them an email and make sure because again, it's always going to start with relationships because they're not going to bring people on that they don't know, they don't trust, or they don't at least yeah. have a good feeling about. Them. So are you, that would are be you my so thing. 
I used to think that was hoary to do that. Like I used to have like a personal thing against that, against the quote unquote networking, but it's, it's, it was stupid that, I mean, it really is like about keeping your network big because you never know how um, you could have a question about something so sports specific. And if you remember some guy that you met in Ohio, you know, you have their card still, like you can have, uh, you know, somebody who's a specialist on whatever it is or, you know, you can reach out to someone if you're in town and say, listen, trying to grab a workout, you know, can we talk shop or like you have time to meet or anything like that. And so you're hundred percent right. I mean, you can't, you just can't live in this narrow bubble of people that you just exclusively follow and then only follow those people, you know? Um, so that's, yeah. that's pretty good advice. It's tough. Sometimes we, we always, we always gravitate to the people that we're most like, and sometimes you have to kind of get away from that. And, you know, the most of the time that people criticize, they criticize, it's funny the people criticize, you know, this is kind of going off topic, but if we, we criticize people to do stuff different from us. But once we see that, okay, we find someone that, that, that does stuff similar to us, we criticize them for not doing it the same as us. And it just it just doesn't make sense to me. It's like what what are we all what are we all butthurt about as far as when it talks to philosophy? And I think that you know the more you can open up to different to different avenues and, and really again and that's what you know the people that are in that bubble or the people that really have a tough time just because there's so many different communities. And again, what you're seeing too is that those communities, you know, those separations between strength sports and organizations and whatnot, those lines are kind of blurring. And, and that's the one good thing about social media as well, too. When people really think about it, and if you look at a workout from top to bottom, you're going to see so many more similarities than you are going to see any differences. And I think that, you know, people, just like you said before, I think it's people get more ego involved. In, and a lot of those lines are, are being blurred a little bit. I think it's a good thing because I think we can all learn from a little bit from everybody. That's a, that's a positive way to kind of conclude the show because uh, it's a good message. It's a good message for sure. Adds a little depth to Power Athlete Radio, radio which we, we oftentimes lack. But uh, um, <laughs> What? Yeah. <laughs> um, but we we we've been on rapping for over an hour, hour and twenty five or so. I know. So you know what, Kelly, you just gotta let it flow, though. You know. When, I know. I was splitting the knowledge. Yeah, when it starts dropping, you just I just sit back and take it all in. I love the passion. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I I I so look forward, Mark, to having you on again in the future. Um, as this is really good dialogue. I mean, I think this is one of the best podcasts, if not the best, that I've sat in on. So I really really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us to give some of your personal experience as well as uh, your advice to anybody who's kind of in the same boat that you are. We know it's such a challenging position coming from the world that you were in. So. Well, I, I'm, I'm honored to be on. I'm honored to be able to talk. And anytime I can talk shop, and like I said, I, I've been, you know, listening to, uh, to, to the last couple episodes, just trying to get acclimated. I've been, you know, um, you know, following John for, for, for a while now, uh, ever since he, he started things up. And, you know, it's, 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 it really is uh, an honor for me. And like I said, I, anybody that I can, you know, like I said, I can, I can help. I'd love to do it. And like I said, I really appreciate everything you guys are doing. You guys are doing a great thing. Uh, with power athlete and, and everything that, that goes on with it and, and your fight you're you're really trying to fight that fight and, and, and get people uh, educated uh, what they need to do so again that's that's definitely commendable thank you we're the we're the mighty 300 and everyone else is just Persian um, all right well we need to uh, wrap things up uh, just to updates um, we don't have we had a couple of 
questions, but we touched on them. And then in terms of uh, seminars and recaps, I mean, we are now entering uh, the the uh, July season, which is essentially games season 2014. And that's pretty much what's on our agenda through July. Um, everything sort of revolves around the CrossFit games. Uh, and so we will be there for every day at the games. If anybody's interested, I guess it's in what Carson again, is that right? Yeah. And, uh, that, but beyond that, if people are looking to attend the August cert, I know we have listeners in Australia, uh, we're going to be there 23rd, 24th in Australia, and that's in Perth. Um, so look towards that. Um, and then I believe Vancouver as well uh, in the beginning of August. So look for those certs. But that's pretty much it from our end. Anything else, guys? That it? Uh-oh. You guys hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate you you having me on. Thank you very much. Cool. Denny, we're out. All right. I think Denny's off. Anyway, Mark, thanks again. And uh we'll talk to you next time. Good catching up. Great. Thank you, Callie. Yeah, take it easy. You too, thanks. Bye.